What's up, my brothers and sisters? Welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast, where we talk about all things pertaining to life on and off the fireground. The views and opinions are those of the host and our guest. Today, we have the pleasure of talking to Ardell Delise. She is a, a 20-year vet with the Phoenix Fire Department and a all-around amazing person. She does mentoring, climbing, cycling. She is just a tremendous person and uh, a wonderful guest. So, enjoy. So, Ardell, my friend, I am super excited to sit down and chat with you and um, throw the headphones on and have a real conversation. I've known you now for over 20 years, I guess. Just about. Yeah, and uh, which is always a, an amazing thing to timestamp. It blows my mind. And oh, yeah. Because how much time has passed over the course of our careers and um, over the course of our lives. Well, 20 years ago... I was 20, 26, and I was just trying to see what this fire department gig was going to be all about. And when I met you, you were like, hey, it's going to be all right. This is awesome. <laughs> you know, and you had already been doing it and you were coming on to Phoenix and yeah. so was I. And that's where this whole thing has started. It's pretty yeah. awesome. So you took a you took a little bit of an unusual journey here. So you started with the f- with the alarm room for a little bit mm-hmm. and then came over to the fire department. How did did you know that you were going to go into fire operations? So that's what I wanted and I started testing right around 2001, I believe, 2000 and met some women when I moved out here from Florida that were all into fire, got hooked up with Donna Feller's group, and that was eye-opening. And right around that time, uh, we had um, uh, Brett Tarver's tragedy, mm-hmm. and which made probably a lot of us question, you know, what are we doing? Is this the right career for, for me? Um, how do I, ex- I explain to my family I'm about to enter into a career where we just lost a guy, you know, and mm-hmm. and not just a little guy, you know, a big guy, smart, you know, well known for his abilities, and you know we couldn't save him out of a building. Yeah, you know? yeah, the, his tragedy really demonstrated how vulnerable and fragile we all are, right? Correct. Yeah, and and the, I would say that in many ways that kind of summarizes my career with the fire department. It's kind of like. I, it always amazes me how in the biggest traumatic scenes, our lives can be such a, it's such a fine line, who makes it and who doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, how the frailty of life and in, in incidents that sometimes don't seem that serious and somebody's gone and in complete disastrous events where there's no way anybody could be alive and you have somebody totally unscathed, you know, and, yeah. and it's a fine line. And uh, so coming onto the job and learning all these skills and then that uh, being the tragedy of the fire department as I'm starting to get into what this fire department job is all about. So the alarm room, an alarm room opening came up or openings, they were doing a hiring. And I figured, you know what? As I'm doing this and I'm preparing to become a firefighter, it would be great to get some other kind of experience inside the fire department and learn what the fire department is all about. How how does it truly function? 
because uh, I look at fire department now and we're like a huge high school, right? That we don't see each other in the halls anymore. We're all <laughs> like in the same classroom. And unless people come to our, into our classroom, we really don't get to see them very often, right? Where in high school, you exit the, the room and you go into the hallway and you see everybody, you know, right. everybody. And you're like, hey, hey, hey. And you go to your next classroom and you have the interaction <laughs> there. But I feel like as a rover, that was my life, right? As a rover, I was in the hallways all the time. I was saying hi to everybody, going to a classroom here, mm. classroom there, all these different stations. Um, and now in this later part of my career, um, I'm in one classroom, right? I yeah, have a overtime rescue and they come to me and, um, you know, I pretty much run by my business at a fire station 45 with a great crew and with my overtime guys that come in to work on that rescue. Right. So life has changed so much from 20 years ago, trying to figure out what this fire department was all about, how yeah. I was going to be introduced you know how i was being introduced to it and how i was gonna be taken right at five foot five and a half with yeah let's talk about your giant pounds. status that you <laughs> right <laughs> well yeah. okay so let's okay hold on clearly um we need to talk about we've skipped over right where you came from though because your accent gives it away just a little bit so mm -hmm. um so what's it like growing up in puerto rico uh, Puerto Rico was awesome, and I, I can't say exactly what it's like now, right? But in the 1970s, um, it was wonderful. I uh, I lived on the street with uh, practically with my grandmother and my mom uh, where she met my dad. So And my grandmother lived about half a mile down the street, and... You know, it was a street that we walked up and down, rode our bikes in up and down all the time. And we knew everybody in the in the neighborhood. Everybody knew who we were. My grandmother would always say, you can't get in trouble because there's only one Ardell. <laughs> and if I, if, I, if I ever hear that Ardell got in trouble, I know it's you, you know. And so we had this wonderful time with a bunch of neighbors riding bikes, always on that same street. And then... Uh, Shortly after my parents divorced, just like uh, a lot of parents, you know, go through their struggles. Um, my mom decided, you know what, uh, when Ardell turns uh, 13 and she goes into high school, let's move to Florida. Seems like there's a lot of opportunity in Florida. And her biggest concern was we were paying for, for Catholic private school, very expensive, for three kids and she felt her salary would go a lot farther if she came to Florida and uh, we went to public school, right? So uh, I turned 13, uh, eighth grade, came and went, had my graduation, had my confirmation, Catholic confirmation, and we moved uh, to Florida and uh, I remember thinking what part of florida orlando okay and i remember thinking man you know so flat you know there's like <laughs> nothing and we were used to the ocean you're talking uh, about there's like freeway overpasses yeah that's about <laughs> it right that was your, that's your highest point over there and so in puerto rico you know if you look one way we could see the ocean if you look the other way you could see the mountains and uh, we can yeah, we just stop for a second and talk about how awesome that sounds yeah it just sounds so beautiful i've never been 
mm-hmm. and it's on my list of places to go. Right. So and we'll have to talk about that later. Yeah, <laughs> and it's, there's like a like a mile long zip line now that you can take over the jungle. It's amazing. Okay, uh, for, so just for the sake of discussion, briefly, <laughs> what is the wh- if I if I go to Puerto Rico, where's the, the three best places I need to go? Top gotta, three things I got. You gotta do. go to Old San Juan because of culture. Okay. You gotta go to El Junque, which is the national rainforest, uh, just to get your nature fix and you definitely have to go to the biofluorescent bay out in Fajardo because you do it at night you're on kayaks and oh, every time cool. you put that paddle into the water the water lights up oh, that's the, cool. yeah the organism on the lagoon is just fantabulous All so right. um so growing up in Puerto Rico was like constant discovery and nature and it's, it's a large, you know, San Juan is a very large metropolitan city. So we had the hustle and bustle of a big city, but we also had the ability of, you know, there's music everywhere, there's food everywhere, there's, uh, it's just beautiful. You know, it's just wherever you go, your family, everybody, everybody is, you know, everybody almost, you know, even if you don't, you're Puerto Rican, everybody's Puerto Rican. It doesn't <laughs> matter what you look like, you're Puerto Rican, black, white. You're Puerto Rican, yeah. so it's something that unites us. Is there a strong a bo- cultural bond? Oh yeah, community kind of a national or For national sure. bond, yeah, like a. For sure, I, I never had. I had never seen. You know, when I came to the U.S., I never saw anybody like wearing flags. Or in Puerto Rico, that was huge. Oh. You know, people were hats with a flag and you know shirts with a flag, and I think right around that time it was probably a little taboo here in the states to wear the flag as an Mm. item of clothing you know and not just be the flag so you know when i came to the u.s it was kind of like interesting you know in puerto rico we're wearing the flag we're very proud that this is our flag you know and and it's the same flag as the cuban flag except for the colors are transposed so the red and the blue are in different spots so you know, to see the Cuban flag and the Puerto Rican flag, and you're like, you know, right away, you're like, hey, you're Cuban, hey, I'm a Puerto Rican. So there was a constant, you know, connection, even with other people, because you're Puerto Rican. And if you go to Florida, you see there's a lot of more flags identifying where you're from, because in a way, that diversity is what unites us, right? Um, so moving along with my high school experience. So you end up in, you end up in Orlando. Mm-hmm. And I need to learn English fast. You know, I got to get it on. So I thought I knew English, right? We watched cable TV. <laughs> we had uh, uh, we we had English classes, you know, growing up. Uh, English was a, all of our textbooks were in English except for our Spanish and uh, social studies textbooks. So I had a good understanding of what the language was written but not spoken, and now I need to speak it, which didn't think it was a big deal. Well, but and <laughs> going into a classroom, it's got to be really hard. I mean, not only the social aspect of navigating just the world, but, but getting into a classroom and keeping up with the academics that's being thrown at you in English, probably at a speed that makes the comprehension difficult, not to mention the you know just being able to keep up with the, the academics. Well, it was interesting because didn't have an issue with understanding it was just me delivering my message uh, out. Okay. That's where I struggled a little bit. And 
that's where I really learned I have to laugh with them because I can't take this personally and I can't cry or they'll continue to pick on me even more, right? So going into high school, I was like, okay, they're laughing at me. What did I say? And, and then I just started asking, what did I say? And then they would tell me and then I would start laughing with them. And I learned a lot about letting go of, you know, mm -hmm. this pride that I had on who I was and this perfection mm. that I thought I had completely let go by the time I was 25, 26, by the time I got on the job. And then I started playing golf at about three years ago and all this perfectionist stuff came <laughs> back in. I'm like, oh, this game. So it's a love-hate relationship. But, you know, we, we go in these circles, right, where we find ourselves again. It's like I got to work on this, this one thing where I thought I could excel at anything and this one thing is showing me that i have to have a little bit of grace with myself just mm. like i did when i was learning a language right mm. uh, and just like i did when i got on this job and i wasn't you know like one of my uh, my first booter captain was tom underwood and he's like ardell you're definitely not the fastest <laughs> you're definitely not the strongest uh, you're definitely not the tallest but you have the best attitude. And if you keep this attitude your entire career, you're gonna do fine. And so, and that was my introduction to, to the fire department. So going back to high school, uh, I learned a lot about keeping my cool, doing well under pressure, taking a breath before I spoke, because I knew at some point I was gonna make a mistake and that's okay, I had to face that. Um, and and to learn, you know, just to learn. I, I, can I just say that that is, it's so amazing to me because I remember being in elementary school and being so afraid to be called up to the board. Because I said, for example, math problems for me, I'm not a speedy mathematician. And I was so freaked out that I would like, you know, the classic, I would avert eye contact. I would, right. you know, I would make myself as tiny as I could because uh -huh. I didn't want to be called on. Um because I was so afraid and I carried that with me for a long time. Just a sense of insecurity, this sense of, you know, I told myself, Hey, I'm a horrible student. And it wasn't until I kind of got out of high school that I began to find some sense of self. And, um, and it's interesting cause it's such a tough time when you're young mm -hmm. trying to figure that out. So I'm really excited to hear you say, I'm really proud of you for, <laughs> for leaning into that difficult, uncomfortable situation. Cause how much, how well has that served you since? Right. Very oh yeah. And I mean, and those uncomfortable situations happen often throughout my life. Right. right. You know, like to all of us, to all of us. And yeah. you know, from, uh, I mean, there's so many things we don't talk about. We mm. don't talk about and growing up catholic we didn't talk about a lot of things either you know so then you're finding out things through your friends and sometimes in very embarrassing situations for yourself right yeah. um but it's hard to be a kid it's hard to be a kid um and it's it's probably even harder today you know with cameras on you on everything that you're doing so you can't even overcome a moment without it probably had been recorded in some way yeah. You know, just like we have, you know, like right now. Yeah, I probably have this anxiety right now, you know. <laughs> do not mess up right now. <laughs> I am getting is, recorded. I will not edit it. <laughs> <laughs> so you, everybody that's in this situation, 
you know exactly how that feeling is of I have to do well and I have to do perfect and you don't you have to be you, you and it's so hard to be you but if you think about not being you how would I not be me then it's easy to be me because I, there's no way I can be anybody else I just I can't even try yeah um can't even think about even acting it out because I'm horrible at it so <laughs> um but it's like for me is high school was tough but I learned a lot it was probably the point in my life and I think probably for most kids where you go and it's probably the first it was the first time in my life I didn't have my brothers my younger brothers in the school with me as well so we were all in different schools are you the oldest yeah so from k through 12 we had k through 12 schools in Uh. puerto rico and now my youngest brother is in elementary school middle one is in middle school and i'm walking into high school so that uh ability to escape a situation to make sure that my brothers were okay right that's no longer available to me you know now it's just me so so you learn a lot. You learn a lot about taking care of yourself. So, yeah, there's so there's so much in that high school experience that shapes who we are. So, you know, you talked about pretty early on figuring out you wanted to go into the fire service. But what, you know, as you were exiting high school, what was the what was on your mind? It's funny. It's kind of like what it's on my mind now. I didn't have a plan. I really didn't. I knew I needed to go to college and I knew that I needed to learn more, which is pretty much where I'm at now. I need to learn. I need to see what's out there. Um, But my plan was to play volleyball and be so good that it would pay for four years of college and, and then I would have a career and then I would go to work like everybody else does. Well, that didn't really work out, right? Again, I'm five six. You know, everybody around me in Puerto Rico. Yeah, I, I, I was playing well. I was taller than most people, but now not so much, right? <laughs> so I got into high school. Everybody's towering over me. Uh, but I, I have a sport. I, I know how to play volleyball. Most kids, you know, were just learning to play, and I had been playing since I was in fourth grade. So, um. I had an in that way for language, for friends, for, you know, such an important thing when you're going into a new situation. And It's a uh, good way to build some social collateral, for too. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, if I can beat you up with a volleyball, you don't want to mess with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, plus you come in and now you automatically have teammates that value you. Exactly. Right? So they're, you're a valued part of the team and mm-hmm. they'll be your advocates. And they areas. are. Mm-hmm. And they were, you know, my team was fantastic. So... Um, had a great time, but then, yeah, coming out of high school, I played two years of college volleyball and I really fought to try to get division one, but I couldn't at that time there was no, you know, back row specialist, uh, libero or anything like that. So, um, the game has changed a lot and I'm actually not part of the game anymore because of that, you know, it's pretty much like all of us. So I, uh, after a couple of years of college, I went into the struggle, right? The real struggle of, I have no money, but I want to go to college. I need a, I need a job. Now I need a second job to be able to go to college. But now I'm falling asleep during classes mm. in school. Well, I have to make a decision. Is it worth going to school for a degree that I'm not learning anything in, just for a piece of paper? 
or do I just go to work? I made the decision to go to work, started doing a bunch of retail, and uh, enjoyed the customer service part of working retail. I did a lot of unloading trucks and uh, what they call planogramming, which you deal with a lot of items and you put them in, in shelves and you do this stuff, but when you dealt with people, it was really where I felt like I was shining and uh, far, you know, moved to Florida. I mean, moved to Arizona. And the reason why I moved was Toys R Us. Um, I had a friend that lived out here. She's like, hey, come out here, check it out. Her friend was like, hey, uh, we need a Spanish-speaking supervisor. Come out here, check it out. It was Y2K right before 2000 and they didn't know what was going to happen and then I came in and I was like all right uh I'm gonna work Toys R Us for a couple of years and that's where I met firefighters so one day Chandler firefighters walked in and one of them was kind of looking for the figurines and what (laughs) was new you know and I came I was so tired and I came up to one of them and I was like hey uh are you guys getting paid right now? <laughs> so, <laughs> here you guys are on duty toy shopping. Right. So let's talk about like, that. Yeah. So <laughs> I was, uh, I was so tired. I, I don't think I would have ever asked that to anybody in my right mind, <laughs> but I wasn't, you know, I had been up all night stocking shelves and, uh, dealing with my crew and, and these guys came in and I hit them up and they're like, yeah, they were great. They were like, yeah, you know what? If, if a call comes in, we hear it right here on, a ra- on the radio. They'll call us directly. We'll get on the truck and we'll go. And I was like, wow, I need a job like that. And I remember myself saying that, like, wow, I need a job. Like, like I was done with the four walls and I just needed to be outside and meeting people. And so I, I went on a couple of ride-alongs and I was like, I'm sold this is awesome so I started testing and then I met uh, a group of women that were training to do the same thing now I lived right next to a firefighter in in Orlando it was never even mentioned (laughs) hey you could be a firefighter if you wanted to never but here I moved to Arizona and it's like everywhere I go it's like hitting me from all sides why don't you become a firefighter and you know then there's your own limiting beliefs that start well you're only five six and you're a woman and you have this accent and people are going to make fun of you and did you really want to put yourself through this kind of career it's a male-dominated career but then you start thinking well i've dealt with my brothers all of my life (laughs) right i uh i'm great with people i've been been training for just (laughs) this this exactly (laughs) i mean i i love people i love I love working with men. I mean, I just as much as I love working with women, I have no problem with who I am in either way, you know? And um, and I'm like, I'm not gonna let that scare me. I've unloaded trucks with men. I've done all kinds of jobs with men. I can do the job and if I can do the job, then I want to do the job. So that's when meeting these women was something that I'm like, all right, you know, these women are doing it. I should be able to do it too and started were these women that were part of like was it rose's ladders back in the days or was this just a detached group of gals that was on the job no it was actually before rose's ladders uh i think rose's ladders came closer to like 2007 8 this was actually uh 2000s uh donna feller martha mixon 
Carrie Lansbury, they all had, you know, a day at the academy where they could bring wi women and kind of show them the skills. And um, Tina Rubio, uh, Michael Tellis. So this is just back before it was really kind of structured. Right it was, yeah, exactly. It was kind of like we need more women on the fire department type of thing and we need women to show other women how to do this you yeah. know and and it was very uh it was wonderful like people might have their own opinions of what that was like i'm like if you weren't there you don't know how amazing it was to have a group of women with much better things to do than to work with a bunch of green tomatoes that are walking through there trying to figure this job out right and and giving them as much of their knowledge as they could and how the way has been paved you know it wasn't easy for them it wasn't easy for the women before them um, it's probably never going to be easy or just as easy as somebody else but nobody has it easy uh, I don't care if you're a man or a woman on this job. You have something to do, and you have to something you have something to prove, and you're gonna try to do those things. And it might be easier for some than for others, but everybody has a job to do, and you have to work hard at this job to get it and to do it right. So, what what I learned from being there is we need more mentorship. We need more women mentoring other women because it's hard for men to mentor women yeah. and it has nothing to do with a man being a man except that he's got a wife at home that has to answer why is this woman calling you right now right <laughs> uh, that's probably one factor i mean there's all kinds of challenges i think there um it, you know one thing that i would point out i think is that when you know uh, a man's perspective is you know, here's how you do this. Here's how you, you know, so for me, I'm six, two, you're five, six, five, five and a half. Okay. Let's give Supposedly. you, we'll call you five, six on <laughs> a good day. Right. Back in the day, I'll give you a perfect example. We used to do the, one, the, the, um, the test, the physical test, the physical abilities test to get on the job. There was a ladder on the wall and right. you'd take it off a set of rungs, move it over and hang it back up on another set of rungs or something like that. And for me at six foot two, it was like right at the shoulder height. It's perfect. Right. But for someone who's five foot six on a good day with mm -hmm. boots on, right. right. That's a whole different situation. So for me to try to coach you through that or mentor you through that, like that's just one kind of thing where my perspective is totally like physically a different perspective just, and then over the years I've watched smaller people do amazing things on this job right. because they found a different way to do it. It's a way that I could never have shown. Right. right. I watched uh, a, a small engineer <laughs> climb over the back of a fire truck like a spider monkey and pulling ladders and doing all kinds of amazing stuff. I could stand on the ground and do all that mm -hmm. when I was an engineer, right? Just different the physical perspective that's totally different. Not to mention, you know, so now you take that out and you talk about like the social per perspectives, right? I can't speak to the perspective of what social anxiety would look like in a firehouse from a woman's perspective. I can't do it. I mean, I could imagine... But, I, but I'm really extrapolating out on other experiences. I don't really have that ex exposure. Mm -hmm. So for you to go in and, and to be mentored by other women who can say, listen, here's the real deal on mm -hmm. this job. That's so important. Right. 
and you know, and, and to say, listen, you are going to have challenges. They're different than they're different challenges than Rain's going to face. Rain has his own set of challenges, For sure. right? And 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 so you have to be aware. I think to go into this job fully prepared, you have to have that honest conversation and go in eyes wide open, so that you can adapt. It's not impossible, but you do need to know you are going to face some silly bullshit. Right. For and sure. how do you manage that? Right. right. And I think uh, the management of that. BS is uh, for a woman on this job is is how much do you want your guys to be themselves hmm. and how much do you want to um, have them behave in a certain way only when you're around because they're going to behave the way they are when they're around everybody else. So um, my way of uh, walking into a fire station is I know that I determine what that line will be in the sand as far as what is allowed and what isn't, you know, and there, there's not much that needs to be said. Like, okay, you know, really? Do we really want to go there? And that's already if we're really pushing it past the point where I'm feeling a little uncomfortable that a conversation is going a certain way. But half the time, our conversations are very real, right? Like somebody has a real, maybe a little bit colorful type of way of describing how there's something going on. It's like, all right, well, let's find a way of talking about it without being so colorful about it. You know, let's let's tone it down a little bit. Let's let's talk about what the real problem is. Um, the the beauty of the fire department is that we're not corporate America. Is that we depend on each other to to do the right job for not just our customer, but for each other if we're in trouble. So to be able to manage the scene, you have to be able to know exactly how your guys are feeling and performing on a given day, but also how much do they trust you to have their backs no matter what happens. Um, and, and we're family, right? I would not want the fire department to be anywhere, any other way. So we have a lot of things that uh, this world wants us to uh, identify as discrimination or harassment or, you know, and there is a fine line between this banter that's constantly at the fire station and what somebody else might find offensive. But again, how do you want to be, how do you want your guys to be to you? And how do you want to be to your guys? Can they trust you for being a true, real person that believes in them as their equals and uh, your brothers and sisters? Or do you want to be that person that's always saying, hey, you can't talk that way. You can't do this. You can't do that. In my opinion, if that's the kind of person that that uh, that you feel like you have to be, you have to go to corporate America. That's what corporate America wants and needs, but you cannot be at a fire station. A fire station, I need somebody to be a brother, a sister, a mom, a dad, sometimes even a grandpa, you know, like, hey, kid, pick it up. You're not, you're not moving. And uh, we have a lot of young guys on the job with not a lot of mentorship, not a lot of people stopping them and saying, hey, 
what are you doing right now? And I, f I feel like that's such an important part of when I grew up in this fire department, there were a lot of older people and I, some people were amazing. You learned so much from them, from what to do. And they told you straight up, don't do that ever again, you know? <laughs> and now there's so much massaging around it. We don't want to say it too straight up that you can't do something or you should do it a certain way. It's like, no, you got to take care of your own business and you're not taking care of your business if you're doing that here at the fire station. There's a great expression that I learned. Um, I think it's Brene Brown, actually. She says, clear is kind. Yes. So we have to learn to have hard conversations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've been, we, I think we've gotten afraid to sometimes have real conversations because we're afraid of offending somebody or hurting someone's feelings or whatever. But in this organ, in this work that we do, trust is critical and you have to build trust. It doesn't happen automatically. Right. Um, and to go back to your, you know, your other point about the, the words that we use around the firehouse, the way we talk to one another, you know, it's, it's so important that we, when we talk about building trust, it's about knowing what, where somebody else is, you know, having respect for somebody else and not using language that would be offensive to someone else or saying things that's toxic to somebody else. And let's just, we'll kind of go in a, you know, into something like politics, for example, like, Hey, if I know you see things differently than me and then, and, and I'm purposely going to go in and I'm going to fan the flames. That's not cool, man. Right. right. If we're, if we're on opposite sides of an issue, then either we have a respectful, real conversation about it, or we don't go there. But if you can't be, if you can't honor my position, even though it's different than yours, how are we going to trust each other? And when shit gets real, right. you know, and there's all kinds of, you know, when you talk about like, um, you know, sexual issues or, or whatever with regard to like, you know, sexual harassment or whatever, like know your audience and, and build a relationship with somebody so that you can, you can speak freely, right? Or you know when you shouldn't, not because you're curtailing it, but because you res because not because you're curtailing it just because this other person, but because you respect that person. And I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to come in and if somebody sees, has a religious perspective that's different than mine and I find out, I'm not going to come in and bash the religion in front of them. Like, that's just not cool, man. Now I expect you to, to have my back when, when we're in the middle of a firefight. So I'm not going to harass you or I'm not going to, you know, what, that's not cool. Right. Um, so, so it's, you know, on one hand, we have to remember that this is a job. It's a career and we have to, we work for an organization, you know, that's bigger than any of us. And we have to be respectful of, of that. Um, but also we have some latitude because it's not corporate America. So, but at the same time, so we have to all, we have to be careful because we could find ourselves in lockdown here pretty quick if we're not treating each other with love and respect and kindness. For sure. So it's, 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 we have to be careful if we find ourselves in lawsuits all the time because we're not being mindful of that. Right. And, and you said it perfectly right. It's that respect for each other and where each of us come from, you know, when we look at each other as equals, we're once again, brothers and sisters, doesn't matter where we come from. And, you know, I heard it great from a friend of mine. She's like, 
I'm superior to you because of my experiences that I've that I've had that you haven't had. But you're superior to me because of the experiences that you've had that I haven't had. Therefore, we're equals because we can learn from each other's experiences without having to go through them ourselves, right? And the more right. I respect and value you, the more I will learn about these experiences and hopefully not have to go through them myself to learn the lesson in each and every one of them. But this job offers us so many great opportunities to meet people, especially right now with COVID where everybody's been so cooped up and there's so much anxiety in the world. And uh, if, if they got COVID, they're worried that they have it. And if they haven't had it, they're worried they will get it. And they haven't even had a conversation with anybody outside of their family in over two years, right? So we go into their homes and... If when we take, you know, five minutes to sit down and talk to them, you realize, you know, they're people. They're like true breathing people with like these real worries. And and we get to see so much of them if we just sit down and share with them just a little bit what we got. Uh, and we can make their day a little better, just a little better, just enough hope for them to keep going for the next day and then the next day. Um uh, but we have these amazing jobs in which we're invited into strangers' homes to help them out, and we should take full advantage of that. Like, let's go in there. Let's put a. Let's not be angry. Let's have a great time because, I mean, let's face it. Unless it's serious and unless it's a, an emergency in which we're working, which we're always happy to do. All these other calls when we're getting called it's usually they just need to sit down and talk. They just, there's something going on. They just need to talk it out. It's not very hard. We have a great job, <laughs> you know? Yeah. We have to, you know, it's hard to remember sometimes when you get frustrated, um, that it's just human beings trying to find their way. Mm -hmm. Right. And this is this, you know, not to get too deep too fast, but you know, we're all hurtling through the universe on a rock together right that's all we have is in each other this point in time yeah you know, and here yeah we are. and i don't know you know whatever anybody's you know i can't say the word specific uh belief is about the you know the universe at large and god and the, you know heaven and earth and blah 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 whatever that is the one thing for certain is we are all together on this planet in the here and now traveling through the universe Right now. However many millions of miles per hour we're traveling, that's a big deal. Right. And when you think about it that way, you go, hmm, I can run that next call and be nice. Like, that's yeah. easy to do. Why not? You know? Right? Yeah. But we don't have, we really don't have anything to lose. We're getting paid 24 hours. We're there. We're, we're already there, you yeah. know. But, you know, we are definitely working a lot. We are, our, our crews are working a ton. And, because we have this high level of anxiety in the world, we have to be really good to ourselves because nobody else is going to be good to us. We yeah. are the what does that, we what are does the that heroes, look like right? to, what does that look like to you? Oh, you know what I've had for a little while i've I've had this uh I've had this feeling of uh I started climbing again. Climbing has been like the most focusing thing that I can do where it clears my mind from anything else and mm -hmm. um, 
So you start climbing again, you start to feel these calluses come on your hands again that, you know, you have calluses. We all have calluses in our hands from our jobs, but you get these new ones, these tougher ones from climbing. And, you know, lately it's been feeling like, you know, all along through our careers, we've been told, don't get calloused, don't get calloused. Well, calluses are good. Calluses protect our hands and calluses protect, in my opinion, our heart and our brain. You know, like we all know what it's like to lose that first love and you do form a callus, but you got to take care of that callus, right? You can't let it rip open again. You got to massage it. You got to, you know, give it some loving, tender care. And I think that's where we fail as a, as an organization to take care of our guys is to massage those those calluses like keep taking care of your yourself finding that that uh that uh mental health uh more tools to take care of yourself on your own um and and don't get me wrong we have great resources but when you're going on five six seven calls after midnight and they're all anxiety calls and now we're going back to the station with our own anxiety because we haven't slept. We haven't, you know, been able to get the rest out that, that, uh, that we're supposed to get and recover from a full day's work. And now we're going to either do it again the very next day or do it again, you know, two days later, uh, or you have a family to take care of and they have, they need you to be present, but you just can't be. We need to figure out how to take care of ourselves. And so, you know, my little m mantra now is like taking care of the calluses, you know, like we were talking about earlier sleeping today. I slept a day away. I have an opportunity to do that. Somebody else might not, yeah. but what I've done through like, the last 20, 30 years, cause I've been working nights pretty much all my life is the moment I get off work, I start to eat to stay awake and I'm chewing and, but not realizing the moment I'm not eating, I'm already in this position where I feel like, oh my gosh, I'm going to fall asleep. I need to get something else in my mouth to stay awake. And thankfully, I'm not overweight. You know, like, I don't know how I'm not. But, and then today, I was like, I am so tired. I'm not even going to even try to stay awake. I'm just going to sleep. And I'm probably in a better place now than if I would have tried to stay awake and, you know, fight it until I go to sleep. So to me, that was, you know, taking care of that callus, like really taking care of my heart, taking care of my, my, my mind, uh, my attitude, my emotions. And now I'm in this great place, you know, here talking with you where I'm comfortable, you know, I'm not, I don't feel anxious. I don't feel, I'm not worried about my next shift. I slept, but somebody with a family that today they had to, you know, babysit their kids. How do you? take care of yourself how do you keep it low-key without taking away from your family and that's where I feel like we need more resources to learn to do those things you know to to convince ourselves and I mean we're we're in a crisis right we don't have enough people to work so we can't tell them hey don't come to work <laughs> we want you to work but at the same time don't come to work if you can't work you know don't don't show up to work if you're exhausted if you're tired if you need sleep Go home, go go to sleep, you know, or yeah. stay at the station, go to sleep. 
Yeah. I remember early in my career, um, running, you know, busy shifts and, you know, we get that call at like four thirty in the morning, get back to the station. You're like, what's the point of going back to bed at this point? And I remember a captain telling me always re-rack you, even if it's for 30 more minutes, like you can always re-rack. And I was like, Ugh. um, and then I got into a, 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 you know, with young kids at home going into a cycle where I'd come off shift and, um, I would want to spend time with my kids. And I would, my wife would always be like, go take a nap. And I'm like, I can't. Like I would struggle to go lay down for whatever reason, you know, I physically would wake up and feel gross afterwards and sleep for a couple hours, whatever. Never. So I'm like, I'm just going to stay awake until it's time to go to bed. And so then I would just be a jerk all day because I was grumpy and miserable and tired. And so it's really, it is really unhealthy and really it does have, a, you know, it's a precursor, you know, a developmental precursor for cancer and all, you know, mental health issues and PTSD. And it, it, it's not healthy. Um, so we have to be very careful with that and you have to get, you got to take naps. You got to get sleep. You got to, you know, get a healthy sleep routine. Yeah. Not easy. It's hard, It is, but it is critical. And I think as an organization, you know, you know, here in our neck of the woods or any jurisdiction, you have to do, you really got to think about, you know, how do you get your staffing levels up to a point so that you can get ahead of that? Right. right. Um, it's. It's difficult. It's difficult to do. Yeah, I think you know. Right now, we're not, we have an opportunity as a fire service to try to figure out some of these things, and and I hope we do. I I mean, it's a real problem. It's a real yeah. uh, challenge, and we need guys to be healthy. We need yeah. we need our our workers to be in the best shape that they can yeah. be. Well, you know, our most expensive and important asset is our people. Of course. Period. And so we do have to figure out how to make this a healthy environment if possible. And, um, yeah, it's challenging. Yeah. I, and know, I wish, there are no answers, right? Like we, well, here's the good thing that I would say, I don't, I could be wrong about this, but the good thing is, is the conversation is being had. Mm -hmm. We're asking the hard questions. People are doing research. We're pointing to the problems and identifying them. Now we have to start identifying solutions and applying capital to those solutions to make them, to fix them, which that's where it gets really, really demanding and hard. Um, you know, we're certainly not going to solve that, that problem right here right now, but it's, it's good to start having the dialogue and, and you go, okay, well, it, it, all things in life, right? You go, what is the thing that I can control? I can go home and take a nap, right? I can eat healthy. I can get as good a sleep routine as possible so that my sleep hygiene is good. I can go climbing. I can go get some exercise. Like I, those are things that are well within my control. Some of the things are out of our control, and all we do is we turn to our organization, we turn to our bosses, and we go, hey, can we do this differently? You know, can we? What, what can we do differently in our organization to help ourselves out? Um, and then we work toward those solutions, but, but we have to take the bull by the horns with the stuff that we can control today. Cause you, if you wait for someone else to do it, it's going to be too late. Right. Right. But the thing like we were talking about earlier is we think we can do it all because we've been doing it all right since in our twenties. And now all of a sudden we were talking about this, how here I am 46. How come I just figured this out today? You know, like <laughs> 
Why have I been fighting sleep? Well, I've been fighting sleep because I've done it all my life. And guess what? I've been successful. At least I think I have been. Right. Right. That relatively successful at managing my next day and managing my next day and my next whatever situation. Well, it finally catches up to you. But how hard does it catch up to you? Well, it catches up to us in many ways, right? That we we destroy our relationships. We... um, we get hurt, you know, or we get diseases that we can't overcome and mm-hmm. or they take a long time to overcome. Um, or we start experiencing some mental trauma and PTSD, which um, which becomes a struggle to maintain under control. So it's because since our 20s we've been doing it we've been burning that candle at both ends and we've been relatively successful at kicking ass right but we don't have a true marker of what that kicking ass really is right we just know that we've been doing pretty darn good all along well if we continue to redline every workout eventually we just get hurt well this is what we're doing we're redlining every day uh in our lack of sleep and our lack of um attention to those calluses and then we go ripping them without knowing and they hurt when you rip them you know and here we are trying to figure out how do we overcome but we know the answer let's try to get some more sleep let's try to be better to ourselves it's just that our culture doesn't you know we are the ones that help other people we're not the ones that need help so we never ask for help, right? That's our biggest thing. And then by the time you realize, what am I doing with myself? Why am I still trying to eat my way out of, <laughs> you know, going to sleep? Right. Just go to sleep, you know, just get some rest. And right. You'll feel a little better. But I mean, look at me. I This, what, 7 o'clock at night, 6.30? Oh, 7.30. Here I am drinking a cup of coffee. Well, horrible habits, you know, like. <laughs> Why are we doing this to ourselves? (laughs) But this is just to stay awake. You know, this is what I felt like I needed today after a day or night of getting crushed yesterday. Right. Right. And it it sounds like whining, right? But we're all in this same boat. But it's almost like we're all trying to swim to shore you know the boat sinking and we're like ah you know we need help but well you said it you said it earlier you know you're like hey i finally reached an age where i'm recognizing and i hate to be the old man in the room but so many times i I remember as a young cat people being like ah you'll understand when you get older (laughs) right hey man i'm telling you listen (laughs) to if you are you know if you're hearing this and you are still a young person, heed our words. <laughs> this is old people advice. Like you've <laughs> got to lean in um, on these things that we're talking about and make better decisions um, <laughs> because we're so, we've faced the consequences of these. But that's the, I think though, the narrative that the conversation we're having today is not the conversation that was being had 20 years ago. No. Right? So it was just different. I, when I first came on the job, I also worked as a handyman on my days off. I had a small business and why? Because that's what I needed to do. I needed to hustle. I needed to make extra money and you know, mm-hmm. cause I was, I was, you know, not making enough to make ends meet. So that's what you do. And, um, you know, a lot of folks came on the job doing that and that's the way we, way we did it. And now I, 
run the call volume we run now i couldn't do that like i couldn't have done it i had been a horrible handyman (laughs) right right? so (laughs) so okay sleep deprivation aside Mm -hmm. um uh what is something that you know as a company officer or throughout your career or whatever what is something that's a non-negotiable for you non-negotiable not being inclusive at my fire station. What, it, what uh, does that look like to you? Uh, everybody has to be part of the conversation. Nobody's, uh, nobody is excluded. You know, everybody's given a chance at the table to, to speak their opinion. You know, it doesn't matter what that opinion is. So, uh, we're not gonna pick on one person. We're all gonna get picked on. That includes <laughs> myself. You know, like. <laughs> Like to me, the bond, you know, the bond that happens at a, at the fire station is unique. It doesn't really happen anywhere else, and it's because of the training that we do together, the the conversations around the the dining room table or around the TV, and it has to include everybody. So to me, it's a non-negotiable that I don't know who somebody is at my station for 24 hours, and you know there were. There were times that I felt excluded, that I felt nobody talked to me. And, you know, that was one thing that I knew as a captain. That's never going to happen. I love that. Well, that fits right in with some of the stuff that you've talked about, you know, being a mentor. And I know that that's something that you've done a lot of. You've given back to a lot of people uh, over the course of your, your years on this job. And, you know, I know you like for the couple of things you do that really, that really impressed me. You do the, not only do you do the Valley women stuff and work with other would be firefighters, but you do the Franklin high school stuff and you do, you coach a high school mountain bike team. And I just, I just really appreciate that you're putting yourself out there and, and showing other young women, um, young people in general, like I'm sure you're, you know, all these different people, what a, what a powerful example to set for them. Well, thank you. Um, we enjoyed very much starting the Valley Women's Firefighter Society. We came, you know, we all came from different mentorship groups, and uh, Bomberos was it for me. Uh, and there's all these different affinity groups that do a wonderful job of uh, mentoring. Uh, but uh, right around the same time that Chief Cockbrenner became chief, it, it seemed like a great opportunity to start a women's group again. And you know, from Donna Feller's group to Rosie's Ladders, and now to actually have an affinity group that had the same status um, as all the the rest of the 501c3 affinity groups out there um, in which we could raise money and uh, uh, have our scholarship just like all the other ones and um, and mentor, mentor women in what women need mentoring, uh, more mentorship in which is it's not necessarily how to talk to people, but more how to sw- swing a sledgehammer, how to how to swing an axe, and um, you know things that women don't um, would not like normally in their lives get a chance to do, like most boys probably would if you know they hung out with their uncles and dads that did that kind of work. So. Um, it was an opportunity to do that, and uh, I have stepped out of doing a lot of that work um, for a little while there. I had a CrossFit gym, and so what we did for the uh, women's group was we invited 
uh, them one night a week to do their workouts at our gym and uh, do CrossFit type workouts. Uh, I no longer have that gym. Uh, that kind of went away with COVID, and it was a blessing in disguise in in many many ways. Um, but we've continued with Franklin mentorship, uh, mentoring the the kids there. And we started a high school mountain biking uh, program there at Franklin since most of those kids normally have to go to their home school to be able to participate in sports. Uh, this was the first sport that Franklin High School had to offer their kids. And, That's awesome. And we love it. We have a great time. And it's very, it's a very competitive league, but we are a very non-competitive team. So we have uh, kids that are competitive but we're open to all the kids that want to ride and most of them they're just learning how to ride a bike so to us that's a win you know to yeah. get a kid on a bike is so, a win. so to be for those who are unacquainted uh franklin's a pretty urban school correct so getting kids on mountain bikes is you know he said it might be their first time ever on a mountain bike yeah. so the idea of going and racing cross country is a pretty big step exactly <laughs> that's a bold yeah. move and a lot of them would love to do that, but we got to yeah. take baby steps, right? And we got to yeah. get on a bike and learn how to brake yeah. first, right. you know? Well, that's one of the, so one of the cool things about the high school cycling association is just that it's getting kids on bikes, which what an, one of my favorite things in the world is riding my mountain bike right. because it's just such a, there's nothing better than just going through a corner and pinning it. Uh, just what a cool feeling. And the fan, and frankly, you can go anywhere, right? Right. You can go ride that thing. When I was a kid, one of my one of my pathways to freedom was a bicycle. Right. Like how many I went to all these cool places as a kid because I would hop on my bike and go cruise. Right. Um and it was a different world back then too, you know. Kids, yeah. uh, people were looking out for you on a bike. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, yeah. like but, but my point is is that just that it it unlocks a whole other world. For sure. Yeah. It, it it does. Um we uh I think for our kids, there's that freedom of being on a bike yeah. and also the freedom of seeing trails. A yeah. lot of kids have never seen these trails in action in the middle of the city. You know, we yeah. have a trail, we have uh, a system of trails that's unbeatable for being, you know, 10, 15 minutes away from any high school here practically. So, um, f mountain biking is a great sport to get kids out to in to see what nature is all about right even in the middle of the city yeah well and i think that i'll add when you are living in the urban core you know there, there's a lot of stress and being able to go out and ride a mountain bike and do an activity that just takes you away from all that something to be said for that for sure i like that but their excitement just to see a bunny <laughs> or to see quail, they're like, oh, my God, Wild or life. a rattlesnake. Like, what is that? You yeah. know, like, don't get close, you know, get out of there. <laughs> but it's so fun to, you know, take them out and, and, you know, hey, this is what you're learning in math right now. This is why this might seem so hard, but it isn't. You know, this is what we're talking about right. when we're trying to figure out how fast you're going. And Right. Uh, here, and, Yeah, here's math applied. Yeah, and so – just to get an an, abil an opportunity to kind of see how the world fits into what they are trying to learn, which, you know, sometimes it's so 
you know, out there. Like, doesn't, this doesn't make sense. I'm never going to use it. Well, you are right. using it. We're using it right now. So. Right. You didn't even realize. Make that connection, you and know. I love that. It's so much fun. So let's say you're, you know, 18-year-old Ardell walks in and you're mentoring. What do you tell? What do you tell her? Whatever anybody says you can't do is because they think that if they were you, they wouldn't be able to do it. But it has nothing to do with who you are. And it has nothing to do with what you know you've done up to this point. And don't let anybody else's lack of confidence in you give you any ideas of what you can do or you can't do because it doesn't apply. That person has not had the same experiences as you. And little Ardell, as an 18-year-old, you've been kicking ass all your life. Don't listen to any of that, you know. So that would be, and that would be my, you know, that that is what I, in my mind, what I want to tell everybody that walks through my doors that wants to do anything in life and, you know, feels like they can't for whatever reason. Like, well, we have a lot of limiting beliefs. We have a lot of things that we've grown with and that tell us you can't do this, you can't do that. And I think it's in the beauty of letting go of those things and trying, at least trying, giving it a shot, but not saying, oh, I just can't do that and never trying it. That's where the failure starts, you know, and we need to end that type of thinking. We need to get out there and try it out, have fun. If you fail, great, at least you tried it. And if, and maybe now you have a better idea how to do it better next time. Why not, you know, go for it. So there's nothing to lose, you know, unless it's dangerous, right? But I mean, the normal day stuff that people say, I can't, I can't speak in front of people. Yes, you can. You're speaking in front of me right now. <laughs> and what's the difference? One person or a hundred, you're still speaking to one person. You're talking to me in the audience. Don't say you can't do it. Go out there and try. What's the worst thing you can happen? You'll sweat your self away. It won't happen. Trust me. Right. Like, you're going to be just fine. And you're going to make mistakes and people are going to laugh and people are going to feel like that was a complete waste of time. That's fine. Whatever they feel, they feel. But you went out there, you did it, you gave it your best. Keep trying. You never know. Yeah. Mm, I love that. All right. Eight-year-old Dell's inspired. <laughs> I love it. Um, so outside of mentoring, rock climbing, riding bikes, all this cool stuff that you do, what is, you know, I know that you're um, getting ready to wrap up your career here. And, and so I want to know, because you have you and I have talked about all kinds of funny, like wild ideas and things and businesses and this and that and, and adventures. And so what is it that it inspires you in your life? What, what, what lights a fire in your belly? And it's like. To me is learning. There is so much out there to be learned. And I feel that I don't know that I've truly met my true potential. You know, like mm -hmm. what what is my ultimate in life? You know, like I've done 20 years of uh, great work here for Phoenix Fire and I, I love this organization and I... Um, it it's given me personally so much and 
but it's also given me this thing of there's so much more out there look at all the cool things that we get to experience every day um and i remember when i was a kid the first time my uncle took me rappelling you know and i think i was seven or eight and uh, you know used the same racks that we used when we first got into trt uh here in uh with phoenix and you know now our our technology has improved tremendously but i'm like wow you know like that opened my eyes to a new world when i was a kid that it, that was exactly what i wanted to do when i when i got here when i when i learned that phoenix had technical rescue they did mountain rescues and the equipment and i was like that's what i want to do and 10 years into this job i finally got the opportunity to be part of the technical rescue team and do all these things and you know there are these five million other things out there in the world have i explored them all have i figured out what is out there that will really light a fire that i don't know that exists and i'm in this like i need to find that thing i need to find what that is so um i'm so interested in so many things and i read about everything and lately you know between chess and even the way we play pitch, you know, I'm interested in the way people play games, not just the game itself, but how do different people play the game, poker. Uh, I'm not a gambler at all, but I, it just intrigues me, you know, to learn about that whole world. People totally give their lives to a game, right? Uh, the video game frenzy that's going on in our world right now. Um, sports. Um all of these sciences, I mean, we're looking at rockets that we are landing again. We, that was unheard of, right? Now we land rockets standing up again, ready for the next use for the next time. Um, it's, you know, it's a world full of amazing, uh, just incredible novelty and uh, imagination and creativity and... I feel like I need to dedicate the next 20 years of my life at exploring a whole lot more of that, you know, uh, with this knowledge that I have of what being a firefighter and being a captain and being a paramedic and with this knowledge, uh, you know, understanding all this other stuff that's ahead of me. I think that's the coolest thing. And, you know, I tell everybody I don't have a plan. And in a way, I don't, right? It's my, the unplanned plan, right? <laughs> uh, but the plan is to learn and to figure it out and to give myself time. Because all my life, I've gone from one thing to the next to the next. Like, mm. there's always been. So to go, you know, what is the one thing people always tell you to do? Well, before you leave this job, you need to have another one lined up. Well, the only problem with that is that you don't really get to know exactly what it is that you want to do other than you pretty much get the same job that you had before because it's what you know mm. to do, right? So I really want to give myself space, maybe five months to a year to figure out, hey, what do I want to try out? What do I really, what's all this yeah, it's Before time for you to take a gap, a gap year. A gap year. I yeah, heard, I what heard, is that? A gap I year. heard somebody the other day refer to taking a mid-life gap year. And I was like, what? <laughs> you can do that? Right. What the hell? What an amazing idea. 
a paradigm shift, right? Dude. Um, so this lady, I don't know how old she was or whatever, but she looked to be in her fifties and she's taking a midlife. I don't know if she took a sabbatical from work or what she was doing. If she retired or whatever, I didn't get into the whole story, but she just talked about taking a midlife gap year. And I thought, you know, we need to explore who we are. And sometimes that comes at a, you know, some people do that after high school. Some people do it after college, right. you know, but having an opportunity to spend some time with yourself yeah. and explore. And I love, you know, that's the one thing I think I've come to understand is that the more I learn, the more I understand what I, the, that I know so little. Right. And so that's fascinating. And I love that that's what has got you fired up and inspired because yeah. man, there's so much to, to know and to learn. And you know, this is a, there's a lot out there. Yeah. And I, I mean, I won't lie. The lack of sleep is a, a big motivator. Yeah. Too. Just take a nice long nap. Yeah. I just need <laughs> a nice long one that I can wake up from again. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'm, I'm excited for all the crazy stuff in the world and getting out there and exploring it a little bit. Yeah. All right. Before I let you go, before I let you retire, I'm going <laughs> to ask you some rapid fire questions. <laughs> What's something you believe that other people think is crazy? Retiring. <laughs> I think people think it's crazy, you know, especially I'm leaving uh drop, you know, on the table. Yeah. And I think uh it, it's not crazy. It's it's what I need in my life right now and um but yeah, it it is overwhelmingly you know, something that people look at me and they're like, you're, to you're completely nuts. And I get it. I get where they're coming from, but I also know where I come from once again. And my experience tell me, you know, you've been, you've been without appropriate sleep for over 30 years, you know, 20 years on this job, but another 10 years of that. It's, it's time to give that heart a break and give it enough sleep and be smart about it. And, I'm okay putting a price tag on it and a skull drop, you know? All right. Perfect. What's, what's a bad piece of advice you've heard people give? Oh man, bad piece of advice. Well, uh, save money versus invest money. I think especially right now that you can see how inflation works and you know everybody still looks at it as everything is so expensive but it's really the power of our dollar not meeting the expectations of the rest of the world right so our dollar is not uh, we can't achieve what we used to with the same dollar that we have so if you keep saving your money it's gonna lose value but if you invest it even though things seem so harsh right now uh, with the market dropping the way it is and uh, this bear market, um, the way we're experiencing it, this is full of opportunity right now to invest. And so to everybody that's out there, this is not the time to save your money. This is the time to invest your money, to really go and find some ETFs, find some stocks that you feel comfortable with. Uh, you know, if you are... If you're excited for the future of America, then invest in America. You know, invest in those companies that you think are going to do great 15, 20 years from now. And it's the reason why I can I can actually retire today and say, hey, you know, I'm not going to 
take care of this. And I feel like all my life, you know, I had great advice as far as putting money away. But the the greatest advice that I got was don't just put it away. Make sure you invest in. Well, you just answered my second question, my third question, which was, what's a great piece of advice you've been given? <laughs> he just gave it to me. All right. Final question. Final question. What does it mean to be fire ground fit? Oh, okay. So putting a smile on your face for your customer, no matter what time it is, no matter if you're exhausted, no matter if you're done in so many ways, they don't need to see that you've been up all night. They don't need to see that you're angry with whatever is going on in your world. Fireground fit means that you signed up for this job to do this job and and to put that smile for everybody. And that is for your customer at their house, at the bus stop, at the, the back of the Circle K, uh, to the alarm room in the middle of the night when you know, you're not really agreeing with why this is what it is, but it is what it is. So we're going to go and we're going to do it. Um, and, um, and you can have a conversation, but you don't have to be angry and upset about it. You can make a phone call and be like, Hey, I don't think this is something, you know, or we've been here, you know, 20 times today already, or you can have the conversation, but there's no need to be angry and upset. And, um, and I think Fireground Fit is also showing your crew that you're willing to do the job and that you're putting a good face because they will do exactly that too. You know, like if you're willing to work, they're going to work their asses off for you. If you're willing to put on a smile, they're going to do their best to do their best job at taking vitals and um, taking care of somebody you know, before, during, and after we take them to the hospital. And there's always that conversation in the truck before and after, and that's fine. But fire ground fit to me, if 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 we're truly talking about, you know, what this fire ground is, the fire is not longer in the fires. The fires are at 3 o'clock in the morning on that highly anxious person that you know there's nothing wrong, but you have to sit there and you have to talk and you have to smile and you're going to have to reassure them. It's going to be okay. You got this. You, there's a lot of life happening here. And, you know, we can give you some resources. You know, we'll, you know, we're going to help you out. And it sounds way too positive. And I can already hear people going, ah, you're full of shit. <laughs> you know, there's no way you can do that. Well, you can. You can totally, you know, make sure that you're professional on your calls and on the way back go oh my gosh I can't believe we just went on that and it's okay you know like we need they out we need to have each other's backs but the customer doesn't need to see that the alarm room doesn't need to see that you know nobody else needs to see that but ourselves so hmm. well Captain Ardell Delise um, I'm super glad that we had an opportunity to sit down and talk um, I love and appreciate you and uh, am grateful to uh, have had an opportunity to spend 20 years working alongside you. Same um, here. It's been and, a blast. Uh, and uh, we're going to miss you. And um, thanks again for being on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Very exciting.
Hey folks, that's all we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in, listening to the Fireground Fitness Podcast. If you are enjoying this podcast, get on over to your favorite platform and subscribe. That way when this podcast drops, it will fall into your podcast app when you least expect it and be ready and available for you to listen to. Also, if you're enjoying it, get on over to Apple Podcasts, rate and review the podcast. We need that feedback. It helps grow the platform and get it out to other listeners. In the meantime, take the lessons you've heard here, things you've learned, and impart them into your life in some way that's meaningful. Go on out there and get some.